It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, future international powerlifting champion and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. So, of course, there's a lot of lessons that coaches learn from success and winning and being on the podium, holding up the trophy. But there's also a lot of lessons that coaches and all of us in life learn from failures. And that's why I wanted to have today's guest on, uh, Jim Harshaw, who is the host of the Success Through Failure podcast which highlights a lot of athletic principles, and he's going to talk about those, but he also does work in the corporate world, um, in the athletic world with individuals and groups and teams. So he's the perfect person, I think, to bring in as a lot of coaches this time of year are reevaluating, where did I go wrong? Is this going in the right direction? Um, maybe you're coming off of a failure uh, this past season. No better person to talk to than somebody who has been in your shoes as, as, a, as an athlete, as a coach, and now talks about this for a living. So, Jim, thanks for being on. Uh, and you've done over 400 episodes of your show, the Success Through Failure podcast, which anybody can find on any of the, the podcasting platforms. And I recommend it. It's uh, one of the ones that I love listening to. Kind of get big picture. First of all, for those of you, uh, the, the people that are listening that, that aren't sort of aware of your story, why did you pick this niche and this approach in you know, for a podcast and and sort of doing it to teach people lessons that they can apply in their lives and find more success actually yeah well this all started from a tedx talk that i gave titled why i teach my children to fail which was based upon my experience as a college wrestler so i ended up being an ncaa division one all-american at the university of virginia but it was really a story of failure, right? I failed to achieve any of my goals in high school. My goal in high school was to be a state champion and never even got onto the podium. I uh, got to college at UVA, redshirted my first year. Didn't even know if I had a place on the team. I was kind of a recruited walk-on. And, and then, you know, five years later, I graduated with a, you know, Matt two degrees from a great university, but it also was a three-time ACC champion and All-American. And when I had a chance to give a TEDx talk, I thought, man, this is this was the the you know crucible moment and crucible lesson that I learned in my life was that failure can or success can happen not just despite failure but also sometimes because of failure and that's that was the crux there that was the the sort of the the genesis of the podcast success through failure was that TEDx talk which led to speaking and led to the podcast and eventually led to um, what I do now coaching and consulting. Yeah. So a lot of people in, in athletics or coaching or just life in general, we, we experience a failure and, uh, and then we want to run away from it, forget it, let's move on, let's forget about that. And you've sort of taken the opposite approach where you're using it as that learning experience that you just referenced. Um, so big picture, and, and let me ask you a very specific question that uh, has been on my mind. Why do we learn best from failure? In other words, I mean, there's a lot of places we could go to 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 learn how to do things right by people who who did it right, and we follow their path. So, what is so special about uh, about failure, learning from it, and even back to your TEDx talk, you know, teaching your your children to fail? Why why is that so valuable? Yeah, there's a quote from somebody I can't remember who said this, but it says, uh, "Success is a terrible teacher." 
Mm. And, you know, uh, I was listening to a interview with Tony Bennett, the head basketball coach at the University of Virginia recently. It was a press conference at the end of the season. And he talked about how you can't accept in success what you would not accept in defeat. I can't, you can't accept in success in victory what you would not accept in defeat. So, you know, so, so often, you know, if we succeed, if we win, we think everything's great. We kind of move forward without sort of, you know, really focusing on the performance because that's really what it comes back to is the performance. Really the outcome is, is outside of our control, right? You know, Stephen Covey taught us years ago in the seven habits of highly effective people. We start with the end in mind. So we know that, right? We have a goal, like for the coaches listening, you know what the goal is at the end of the year. It's to, to win the national championship or the conference championship or, or whatever your goal is for the season. We start with the end in mind, but we really have to focus on that process and we have to let go of, of that, that end goal. So, um, so that's what, what failure can teach us is so much more, but sometimes um, it, it's irrelevant whether we win or lose. Really, what we're focused on is is the performance, and we can't accept in victory what we couldn't accept in defeat. So, let's say you you win a game or or, or you get the recruit, uh, but you did a terrible job. You don't want to replicate that, right? Or let's say you you lose, but you performed at your max. You competed your best. You did everything you could do to get that recruit, but you still don't get that recruit. Like. You want to replicate that, really. So it's it's not so much focusing on on the success um, or even the failure, really, is so much as the performance, which which includes failure. And now uh, that said, you also have to balance the the idea of looking only at the failures, right? The the mistakes that we made, the things that went wrong, um, because that can put you into a mindset of just like just looking at your mistakes and and really beat yourself down psychologically, uh, versus looking at just the things that I you know that that go well. There's a a great story about uh, I think it was Wade Boggs, a Hall of Fame baseball player. And after games, he would have the film crew create two different tapes for him. And one was of his at-bats where he, he did poorly, his bad swings and you know, bad, you know, strikeouts and whatnot. He would watch those. He would watch the failures because that's where we learn. And then he would take that tape, he would throw it away, and then he would watch his successes. <laughs> and so that's what he would leave. The residue that he would leave on his brain is the successes, I'm good, I can perform at the highest level. Um, but also, but we really do learn from those failures. Yeah. And I think you know, all of us tend to think that when we fail at something, whatever it is in sports or life or business or relationships, we beat ourselves up. Uh, we're the failure. We're You never see people posting about their failures on social media. And so you tend to internalize and think, oh man, I'm the only one. And yet, your podcast, you've talked to over 400 people about their failures and what they've learned from them. So we all have them. Um, and what you're, what we want to do today is you have picked out of all the ones that you've done, seven that are really memorable to you and what they taught you. And this is going to be so valuable for coaches because, as you know, in the college athletic world, you know, you're either publicly criticized or behind the scenes you're criticized. And there's in every athletic adventure, um, yeah, especially as a coach, there's probably going to be more failure than there is success. And so learning to deal with that, I think is so, so critical just for the, the lifeblood of a, of a coaching career. So you have these seven, who do you want to start with? And what is the lesson for that, that first one that, that uh, sort of is the headline? Yeah, sure. So I interviewed a guy named Tim Ferriss. So Tim Ferriss, he's a 
five-time New York Times bestselling author. Uh, his oh. connection to sports was he, he was a high school athlete. He was a wrestler, and I think he did another uh, one or two other sports. Um, but he's known these days. He has a huge podcast, pretty pretty big name in the sort of personal development space. Um, but and, and I'll jump in real quickly that, you know, for me, when you say Tim Ferriss, I didn't know that was going to be who you were going to bring up first, but um, his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, there's a lot of the principles that I put in place when we started Tutor Collegiate Strategies that are based on some of his things about just efficiency and how you allocate resources and everything. So he's fantastic. So this is, you know, I'm excited already just to hear about, uh, about uh, this lesson from Tim. It was such a fun inter uh, interview too, Dan, because this is a guy who he has so much information and content and sort of this wisdom that he shares in these books, like the four hour work week. And I feel like I really got the best out of him. I made it, it was a two-part episode, two, episode 246 and 247 for anybody who wants to go back and find that. There's so much, so much really, really good stuff that is just applicable to, to coaches and professionals uh, as well as athletes. But the, the thing that he talked about, you know, knowing that, you know, failure is always sort of central in my conversations and in my interviews. And he said, you know, Jim, failure in and of itself doesn't lead to success, right? Because, you know, there, there's this sort of storyline out there that, that failure is good and, and we got to, you know, go for failure and look for failure and failure is okay. And that kind of thing. Like a lot of people are talking, I'm not the only person talking about this, but failure in and of itself, it doesn't by no means guarantee success. He's like, Jim, people go on their whole lives as failures. And so it's really the learning that comes from failure. And for probably the first 200 or so episodes of my podcast, Dan, I would ask my guests, what is one habit you most credit for your success? And it was never the answer you would think for, you know, if you're, I would ask that to a New York Times bestselling author, it was never the, the, the right, you would think it'd be some kind of writing habit, but it never was. Or, you know, I'd ask that to an Olympic gold medalist and they would never, it was never some, you would think it'd be some kind of training habit, but it wasn't that either. They would always share some some version of stepping back, learning, journaling, working with a coach, uh, going on a retreat. It was never actually doing the thing that they're best known for. And so I've coined a term called productive pause. And the productive pause is, is this. Here's the definition. The definition of a productive pause is a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. And that's what we all want. Really, at the end of the day, we want clarity of action and peace of mind. And so going back to this Tim Ferriss episode, that, that failure in and of itself does not lead to success. It's the learning from failure that leads to success. And that requires a productive pause. That requires mm. stepping back and, and asking yourself the hard questions. You know, In the military, they call it an after-action review, an AAR. It's simply you know, what went well, what did not go well, and what will I do differently next time? That is how you learn from failure. That is how you get better. So for a coach, it just I'll follow a question, then we'll move to the next one. But for a coach that just heard that, and that makes sense to them from a practical aspect, like what what should they do? They let's say they made a lot of mistakes in recruiting, you know, timing was off, they they got distracted, whatever their their um, whatever the problem or the failure was. Using that principle, what would your suggestion or your coaching point to them be? Yeah. So you get the no, right? Whether it's a, a phone call or a text or email, or maybe, you know, they 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 announce their commitment to some other school. 
And the tendency is to just kind of want to put it behind us, move on, not look back and move on to the next recruit. And that, that's all well and good, but you still have to have that pause. So get your staff together. It's some interval, right? You're not going to do this every day or every, every, maybe not even every week, but it's some interval. You have to have a period where you sit down and you say, okay, what did we do well? And you always have to start with what did we do well? Because that really sets the tone for the rest of the conversation for people to be open, to be willing to share what did actually go wrong. Because if we're just saying what went wrong, people feel like they're being blamed or fingers pointed at. So you have to say, okay, what what did we do well with this particular recruit? Okay, well, we sent this, we mailed that, we had this, you know, their their official visit went like this, and we had this great experience lined up. Okay, great. What did not go well? What right. what, what do we not do well here? Well, you know, we we really could have you know introduced the, this person to to a different professor, or we could have done a little bit more homework when they came, and you know, learn more about their family, whatever it might have been. And then what do we do different next time? Okay, what is what is it in our system, in our process that we need to change or just be aware of? Or maybe not even change, but just kind of, you know, keep an eye on this, maybe do a better job next time. So a simple, it can be a five-minute conversation, but this has to be done in whether it's recruiting or competition or otherwise, this simple productive pause, this right. AAR. Nice. Well, so you started with number one at Tim Ferris. So you've got, you know, you've set the bar pretty high for the other yeah. six. Um Number two, uh, who is it? What What is the takeaway or the headline uh, that you would put with them as far as learning point? So let's continue on the military theme because I was talking about the after action review. So I interviewed Robert O'Neill. Robert O'Neill is a Navy SEAL on SEAL Team 6. He's the guy who pulled the trigger and shot and killed Osama bin Laden. Fascinating conversation. Uh, this is back in episode 342. And the one thing that he shared that really stuck out to me is he said, Jim, when our helicopters took off and headed to, into Pakistani airspace, we knew we weren't coming back. They didn't think maybe they had a shot. They didn't think, you know, maybe they were coming back. They, he's like, we, we just knew we weren't. This is a death mission. This is, we're, we're not coming back, but this is, this is for the greater good. This is, this, is, this is the mission that has to be done for the world. And the big takeaway for me from that episode was was less about success and failure, but rather about commitment. And for the coach listening, you, you're not asking any of your recruits or your athletes to to commit their their lives in the same way that these Navy SEALs were were right. committing their lives. You know, they all they survived, of course, they all survived and, and came home safely, but they were committed. Like as a leader, can you get your people? to buy into a mission at the level of a Navy SEAL who's willing to commit to, to die for this mission. And th- obviously that, again, that is setting the bar bar high, but, but when you really get people bought into a mission and, and a vision, and, and this is, this is more than just, you know, a, a, a regular run of the mill mission for these guys. This was something that was important to the world. There was a purpose behind this. And can you get your your recruits, can you get your people to buy into your mission? Yeah, to that that level. Um, It reminds me of a story that there was a famous general, um, ancient times that basically um, took, uh, and I can't for the life of me remember who it is, uh, but basically marched up to whoever the enemy was and he would order in front of the enemy 
his soldiers to basically march off a cliff and die. And the enemy surrendered because they knew that if that that group, that those troops were willing to do that, imagine what they would do in a battle and it was just over. So it's sort of the same, like all bought in to the point that um, you, you have some very potentially negative consequences coming your way, but that just means that, you know, the amount of you know, energy and focus and, and determination going forward is, is incredible. Yeah. Um, wow. So that, that is, that, that's powerful. Um, so person number three. Yeah. Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler, all American wrestler, university of Missouri, and he's now a UFC fighter. And as a matter of fact, I'm not sure when this is, this episode is going to publish, but he is going to fight Conor McGregor, uh, probably the most well-known UFC MMA fighter in the world. And Michael Chandler has willed himself to the top of his game, to the top of the sport, to becoming world-class at what he does. And he had this quote. He said this on, on, on the podcast episode, episode 323. I interviewed him twice, episode 323 and episode 99, if you want to go back and find that. But there were two things that really stuck out here. Number one is, is he said he's built his success brick by boring brick, brick by boring brick. And that's all about the hard work that goes on behind the scenes, the hard work that goes on when, you know, it's not just showing the recruit, you know, have a, a great official visit or making the phone calls or sending them the stuff. It's the strategic work that might go on working with, with Dan Tudor, right? It's the strategic work or the, the work that is going on behind the scenes, the brick by boring brick that you have to delay, the work that you have to do to create your success. So that was the one takeaway. And the second one was this. He said, Jim, I, have, I approach my goals with total disregard for past failures. Hmm. Total disregard. I approach my goals with total disregard for past failures. And that is a mindset that is worth embracing. Now, of course, we want, you know, like we talked about, we want to learn from those failures, but right. put those behind us. And can you approach your goal, your next recruit, your next season with total disregard for past failures? Because those failures will do nothing but create self-doubt and hold you back. It takes a lot of mindset work to do this. This is not something that most of us are just hardwired to do is to just operate with total disregard for past failure. Our failures, you know, create self-doubt. They make us want to lower our goals or settle for less. Right. World-class athletes like Michael Chandler approach their goals with total disregard for past failures. So follow up to that, because I think a lot of coaches would agree with, with that um i mean you know the heat of battle what's a coach going to say hey forget about that last series or that last play or that last match you, now here's the next one here's the focus what have you learned or maybe it's just your advice um you know being in that world as well what do we have to do mentally to do that because that is tough for athletes to mm. to to forget about it easy for us as coaches to say it harder to actually have them do it or even us to do it when we're, we're, uh, we're in it. So like what, any secrets to, to pass on yeah. or observations about how people have actually done that? Yes. So I'm going, I'm actually tomorrow, the day after we record this, I'm traveling to New York and I have a, a client retreat, just my inner circle 
personal coaching clients were getting together. And the speaker who is attending that event with us is Dr. Nate Zinzer. Dr. Nate Zinzer was the director of performance at West Point for 30 some years. Um, he's been the mindset coach for Eli Manning, who's a two-time Super Bowl MVP, uh, Olympic gold medalists. Uh, he's taught at the FBI Academy. I mean, this guy's, he's world-class and I'm holding his book in my mind right now, in my mind. <laughs> I'm holding his book in my hand. It's called The Confident yeah. Mind. Um, and for those who are in video can, can see this, yeah. but it's an amazing book. It is a, an absolute must read for any coach listening to this. It is so good. It's inside mental toughness training at West Point. And it also talks about his work with Eli Manning, these Olympic gold medalists and, and whatnot. But there are tactics in there to help you move past, past failures and to operate with total disregard. And some of those tactics, for example, would be something like identifying your successes, like those, those past successes. And he talks, there's this one strategy in there where he talks about uh, simply three experiences. Remember three experiences as a coach, uh, as a recruiter, as an athlete, three experiences that, that were really transformative for you. You think back on them and it just kind of warms your heart, buoys your confidence and identify them and have those, like have those at the tip of your tongue. Always have those at the ready because whenever you feel the doubt creeping in, whenever you want to lower your goals or you feel that sinking feeling inside of yourself, even though emotionally you don't want to go there to go back to these successes, you have to logically override that and actually go back and remember and even speak out loud or write in your journal, at least think about those moments. When you landed that huge recruit, when you won that game, when you won the championship, when you got the job, whatever, whatever it is, like identifying those moments. So that, that's one, a second one here, just a real quick second tactic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was working with a, an Olympic, um, Olympic caliber 800 meter runner. And there was a certain time that time that she wanted to get in the 800. And he simply had her do this. He wrote on, had her write on a post-it note, the time that she wanted to get. And she put that post-it note right on the doorframe. And every time she walked through that doorframe, she spoke out loud. I am a, I think it was 156. I don't even know if that's the right time for an 800. I think it was. Uh, I'm a 156, um, I'm 156, 800 meter runner. I am like that. I am statement, you know, uh, I am a, I am a, a, a five-star recruit recruiter. You know, whatever that mantra is for you, but continually repeating that, beginning to hardwire that into you as opposed to the doubts and the failures the that are always thought, going to be right. there and creeping up. Tudor University has been the standard for advanced training and education for college coaches who want to truly learn to recruit effectively. And now it's all new. The latest techniques, the newest trends, and how coaches need to change their approach with this class of recruits. For ongoing education that will help you run a better program, go to dantutor.com and click on the Tudor University button to see why coaches everywhere have trusted it for more than a decade. And now, back to the show. But, but that's sort of goes to your earlier point is there has to be some sort of active solution. You, know, you can observe something and know it, but then you have to take action on it. And this is the form of taking action, which is if it's a post-it note or if it's something else or just 
having those three phrases ready to go in your mind, um, that is incredibly important. And that brought me back to like early in my corporate sales career eons ago, um, we had this company goal and worked for a very large national company and certain, you know, leadership, you know, achievements would get you to an, a week long paid vacation in Puerto Rico. And I put that little postcard of their promotion of that on our refrigerator and myself, my young wife, really important to her. And so that was like the driving force. And guess what? We went that year. And I, there is something to that, that you just talked about that, you know, we tend to forget about maybe as adults, we think, well, it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you know, unnecessary. It's just, I don't need that. There is something to your point, visual and, 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 when you hear it verbally, that reinforcement is is just so key. So that is such a such an excellent point. Yeah. Um, okay, number four. Okay, number four. I interviewed world champion wrestler Jaden Cox, episode one hundred and seventy six, and we hear the quote. We've all heard it a, a thousand times. Failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. Jaden Cox said this. He said, when I finally realized that failure was an option, I was able to compete at my best. So when he finally took that that fear of failure, that baggage of what if I fail, and he put that down and it allowed him to compete with absolute freedom. And now this guy's one of the best in the world. He, well, he's the best in the world. He's a world champion. And so often we, we, we fear failure, but it's like that fear that, that it creates hesitation. It creates doubt. It, it doesn't allow us to compete to the max, to the maximum of our ability. So my personal experience with this, the same concept was, you know, when I finally broke into the starting lineup as, as a red shirt freshman, um, my goal became, I want to be an all American wrestler. I want to get onto the podium at the national championships and my freshman year, you know, I qualified for the national championships, but once you get there, you have to win four matches. And I, I lost immediately and I was done. My sophomore year, uh, I qualified for the national championships again, but again, I failed. My, my junior year was pretty much a repeat of the prior two years. I got to the national championships, but again, my, my season ended with me in the locker room in tears, wondering, why can't I do this? Like, what's wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Am I not strong enough? Am I not capable? Am I not smart enough? Like, is this just not in the cards for me? And in that, that moment, I realized like, I have to do something like there's, there's gotta be something I'm missing, but I I know I couldn't do more. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't run more miles. I couldn't lift more weights. I couldn't watch more film. There's like not enough hours in the day to do more, but I said, I gotta figure out what the thing is that I need to do differently. And so I, I dedicated my entire off season to working at wrestling camps as a camp counselor, I went around to all these universities and worked as a counselor and they would bring in the Olympic gold medalists and the national championship coaches to teach. And I would pick their brains, you know, and by the end of the, the summer and the beginning of next season, my senior season, I'm sitting in the hotel room in Morgantown, West Virginia. It was the night before the West Virginia open. And it hits me that I never figured it out. I never discovered what that thing is that Jim is missing. And so in that moment, I gave up on the goal. I let go of the goal. And I said, listen, all I can do is all I can do. And if at the end of the season, I end up on the podium, great. If I don't, that's fine. I have to be okay with that because if I can't do any more and I'm exhausting every option here, 
then I, I can't be, I can't be upset really. I mean, of course I, I would be, but like, I, I, I knew that I was putting everything into it and, and, and with that, there's nothing else I can do. And so in that moment, I gave up on the outcome. I woke up the next morning and I had so much fun competing, Dan. I went five and oh, I dominated the competition and the rest of my senior season was, was pretty much a repeat of that. It was so much fun. I competed at such a higher level than I'd ever competed before. And it came down to, you know, I qualified for the national championships again. I'd won three matches. Now here I got to win this fourth match. And um, you know, it was 15,000 people watching and it's me against the guy from Minnesota. He's the fourth ranked wrestler in the country. And he's on the number one ranked team in the country. And in that moment, I still had to find a way to let go of the outcome, to not fear failure, to go back to what Jaden Cox said in that episode 176, that world champion wrestler said, failure is an option. And I had to know that, listen, failure is still an option here. I just have to go out and give everything I possibly have. And I did, and I won the match and, and it was a transformative moment in, in my life. And so that episode really resonated with me with Jaden Cox when he said, failure is an option. Well, and what a, what a perfect sort of uh, summary of the entire idea of the podcast, Success to Failure, because as you tell that, had it not been for the three previous years of gut-wrenching, tear-filled losses and frustration, had you not had that, you wouldn't have had that that moment of clarity where you said, oh, here's what I need to do. You let go, and that sort of unleashes the ability to perform well. Um, so great example. And as you were saying it, now in you know in the business world and you work with a lot of you know corporate uh you know you're having this leadership event um you know for for the coaching that you do and that's mainly on on the executive level um business plans have always fascinated me because the first you know couple of you know years or times you know in business you do the business plan because that's what you're supposed to do. Well, you, what you find out is that three or four months in, the business plan is torn up. There is that did not go according to plan. And probably most entrepreneurs, most people that have had any kind of success will tell you, yeah, business plan. <laughs> Good little guide to maybe start, but then once you're once you're in it, you know, you can't measure yourself by that. There's uh you you have to again let go and just do your job. So yeah, planning um, is essential, but plans are useless. They say, right? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, no, that's fantastic. Okay. Next one. Yeah. The next one was an interview with a guy named Sam West, Sam West. It was episode 101 and he is the curator of the museum of failure. Museum of failure. Now this is in Europe and a, they, they just opened now in New York city. And I actually have them coming back on the podcast to talk about more about the museum of failure, but the museum of failure shares all of these innovative failures. This is, this is around business and, and, and items and things like that. But he talks about, or he shared, he talks about in the episode, but he also shares all of these, these ideas of, of failure of these, these amazing companies that created these these inventions and these things and they brought to market, but they were failures. And there's so many of these, and these are from Google and Apple and Sony and all these big brand name companies. You think, wow, like th these are, these are amazing companies. Like they never fail. They have R and D and they're not going to, they're not going to put out a product that's going to fail, but it's actually quite the opposite. There are a lot of amazing failures, even for these, these, these behemoths of of companies who you think yeah. failure doesn't happen for them. Yeah. 
Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of Starbucks and their iced tea. As uh, as many of the, the listeners and people that know me know, I'm always replaced cola and soda with with iced tea. And so Starbucks are everywhere. I get an iced tea. And many people forget that Starbucks at one point thought they were so big and could do no wrong that they came out with a furniture line. And nobody wow, remembers Starbucks that. furniture, but it was a colossal failure. Nobody bought it. They went totally outside their line. So that's the perfect sort of uh, example of uh, of just what you're what you're talking about. That uh, sure, another one. Another one is um, Google. They came out with the Google Glass. Google yeah. Glass was supposed to be the next big thing. It was supposed to be amazing and you know, they, they, you know, soft launched it and then it got great reviews and people were excited. And then they started launching this thing and all of a sudden like, er, they'd put on the brakes and it's like Google, Google glass is completely shut down. And it's like, it's not, it's not a thing. And it was supposed to be like the next big thing. And they invested a lot of oh, money yeah. into this. Um, but it was a failure. And, and so this, this episode is really fun to listen to about all of these, these amazing failures of, of these, these very, very successful companies, but, but that's what it takes, right? That's what it takes. So it's like for you, the coach, how, like, what do you take from this? Like try things, try new things, try different things. And the only way you're going to find success is through taking risk, taking measured risk, but, but trying different things and, and being different. And, that's the only way you're going to stumble into something. You can't you can't stumble stumble into something unless you're moving forward. Right. No. And and again, the whole you know theme of this and and a lot of your work is around learning from failure. So much of what you're talking about here, as we get to the last couple, um, involve uh, you know again just athletes learning from failure, yourself included, and you know then turning that into success. And I don't know if you've watched the Netflix series Losers. Before, if a coach listening to this, there's a, a documentary series called Losers on Netflix. That came oh, out a I have, years yes, ago. yes. And uh, fantastic. I mean, it just yes. chronicles people that, athletes that have choked, failed. I mean, all the stuff that you're talking to. And then I think the valuable part is what they learned from it and what they're, you know, what they took away from that. Um, and so that's, again, you can do, that's on an individual level. And to your point with the last, uh, the last person you interviewed, at a corporate level, it happens. So failure is just a part of uh, a part of our world and a part of life. So right. um, last two, I think, right? We're down right. to right. we got two more. Seven, yeah. So Lindsay Shoop. Lindsay Shoop is an Olympic gold medalist rower. Uh, I interviewed her in episode number three hundred twenty. And Lindsay Shoup came to my alma mater, University of Virginia, as a volleyball player. She was recruited as a volleyball player, and showed up at UVA and didn't really know if she was kind of that caliber of an athlete and eventually quit. She quit the team and the head coach, Kevin Sauer, who I think, you know, Kevin, um, but Kevin Sauer is a, a great, an amazing coach. He's won multiple national championships, uh, with the university of Virginia rowing women's rowing. And he was, always, he was always asking Lindsay, come on out. You should come out for the team. You should come out for the team. And she said, no, no, no. And she never decided not, you didn't want to go out for the team. Well, eventually she did. She went out for the team way late, uh, had a successful late college career, got into it really heavily into it as, you know, after college and became world-class at it and won an Olympic gold medal. She's an Olympic gold medalist. And her, her philosophy is it's never too late. And she wrote a book and the book's title is, it's a great title, better late than never, or uh, I'm sorry, better great than never, better great 
than never. And she, you know, she became great. And, and it was, it was this story of, Hey, it's not, it's not too late. Right. So many times we feel like, you know, our opportunities have passed us by and she felt like her opportunities to be great had passed her by as well. And she even reads from her journal is this pretty, pretty heart-wrenching point in her journal. And, and she, she talks about how, you know, I really thought I had greatness in me, but the world is never going to know because I've not committed to anything. Kevin Sauer keeps trying to recruit me under the rowing team, but I've given up on that. I'm, I'm overweight. I'm out of shape. And she talks, tells this story about running a 5k with a bunch of friends, college friends. And she's like this little old lady passed me on an uphill. And she's like, I was so out of shape. I was just so, so far from anything. I was just so beaten down. And in this girl who thought, her opportunities had passed her by to be great at anything becomes the best in the world. Yeah. Fascinating conversation with Lindsay Shoup. Yeah. And you see so many athletes, especially I've noticed in baseball who struggle, struggle, struggle. And then all of a sudden something clicks, mechanics change and they explode and onto the scene and have a successful career. And so you see that. And many times again, in I mean, you and I Jim, are of a certain age and we probably would say, yeah, I thought I had it figured out in my 20s, but whoa, now I'm in you know, later in life, 20, 30 years down the road. And now I understand I didn't know what I was doing then. Yeah. So that's, that, that is, you know, sometimes the best stuff is yet to come. So, you know, Absolutely. coach that's listening to this that hasn't had success yet uh, or is experiencing a lot of failure, you know, learn from it, keep growing. And, you know, you know, in, in this world of college athletics, sometimes it's just outlasting everybody and just sticking around and getting the opportunity and, you know, and then it, it clicks. So, yeah. all right. Number seven, the last one. Yeah. Um, last one. Yeah. We're gonna do Hillary, on, a, on, a, on a good note. Yeah. This is a great one. Hillary Allen, episode 345, 345. Hillary Allen is what they call a sky runner. Sky running is when you run at very high altitude, basically through the mountains. And they have all these races around the world. And again, another sort of late bloomer, somebody who came to the sport late in college, um, and she didn't run cross country in college or anything like that. Um, but she found sky running, fell in love with it, became world-class. And she was one of the best in the world, one of the top two or three in the world. And she was at a race in, uh, I think it was in, um, uh, uh, Sweden or Finland. She was overseas and she's running down the trail. At, at this extremely high altitude, steps on a rock, the rock gives way, and she falls hundreds of feet down a cliff face and lands. Everybody assumes that she's dead. And you know, they airlift her out of there and she's still alive at the bottom of you know, in a heap at the bottom. And she goes to the hospital and they just start trying to piece her back together again. And the doctors are telling her, you know, you're never going to run again. I mean, it'll be a miracle if you can walk again. Right. But she chose not to believe the doctors. And she over kept overriding her fears and her doubts with her language. And I really took from this episode the power of her words. And she talked about, she kept saying this to herself, my best athletic days are in front of me. My best mm -hmm. athletic days days are in front of me. When all of the evidence pointed to the opposite, I mean, she, you're going to be lucky to walk again, let alone run. I mean, certainly you're, you're certainly not going to be a world-class runner. I mean, that's just all, I mean, that's certainly off the table to become a world-class runner. Hillary Allen is now one of the best in the world again. So this story of resilience 
I mean, it's one thing for me to just sort of, you know, brush over this story, Dan, with you so quickly in a couple of minutes. But when you hear her own words and her own struggle, it just, uh, I mean, it put a, puts a lump in your throat to hear her story and to hear the, the, the challenges that she had to go through just to get healed, um, let alone the, the mental anguish of all of that, and actually to get back out there and start running and now become, again, one of the best in the world. Just a fantastic story. Hillary Allen, episode 345. And you know, for there, it goes back to that point. I think I just made it just you know, sticking with it, the resilience and just keep taking that next step because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. But also what you talked about, what she did was what the verbal reminder, the, you know, the post-it note that, That's you know, right. there's a version of that and it works differently for everybody. So, yep. but it seems like one of the reoccurring themes, Jim, is to get past it, we almost have to trick our minds a little bit, come up with those three phrases that we're reminding ourselves to, to recenter and refocus us because, man, it just seems like, again, whether it's athletics, business, life, relationships, the negatives come in. And for some reason, we're more, it seems like we're more prone to bombarding ourselves with negative versus positive. And, you know, not a psychologist, I can't say why that is. Yeah, there's the negativity bias. The psychologists call it a negativity bias. And, you know, that that kept our ancestors alive, right? If you hear a rustling in a bush and you, uh, if you assume that it's a saber-toothed tiger, uh, but it might just be a rabbit, but if you assume it's a saber-toothed tiger, then you're more likely to generally survive longer. And this negativity bias uh, often overrides us and, and causes us to you know, lower our goals and settle for less and, and sort of pay attention to the negatives more than the positives. Yeah. So my last question, and first of all, thank you for those seven examples and the coaches that have listened to this. Um, they can reference your website. They can go back and listen to the episodes. You've referenced a couple of books. Um, I'm I'm going to read the one, uh, the, the the mind book that you that you have mentioned. Mind, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that sounds, yeah, the confident mind. Um, but personally, after hearing all these stories, the number one takeaway for you that you have used in your life, either personally, professionally, but I mean, listening to these repeated stories of real life events from real people has to have had an effect on you. I'm just wondering what that is and what you, like the big thing you've taken away that has maybe changed your approach to, to life and your career and everything else. Yeah, it's this. Failure is a necessary step on the path to success. And it's easy to say that logically. And everybody, everybody, all the listener, you're sitting there, you know, you're on the treadmill or you're driving home from work or whatever it is, and you're shaking your head going, yes, that's true. Logically, we understand that, but emotionally actually internalizing that. Because a lot of times we can say that to other people. Hey, listen, I know you failed, but listen, you're better off, you're smarter, you're wiser, you're more experienced, you got, you know, you learn from that, you're gonna be better. But when it happens to us, it's different, right? When, when it happens to us, it feels different because it's emotional and it's real and it, it's embarrassing maybe and humiliating and It's no longer a theory, and all it's things. real life. Yeah, it's real life for us. That's what I've taken away from it is like, I can now be in the moment. I can fail in my business and say, it's okay. This is part of my path. This is part of my journey. I failed before all of these world-class performers who I've interviewed on my podcast, they've had these horrible failure stories as well. And so this is just part of my journey, part of my story. College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2022 through 2023. 
To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. And do us a solid, Coach. Rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, it wouldn't kill you to tell your fellow coaches about it, would it? So do that, too. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Oh, <laughs>